0: Dungeons of Daggerath is typing of the dead from 1982. It's The Coco Show, episode 26. Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Coco Show. I'm John. And I'm Aaron. And today, Aaron, we're talking about Dungeons of Daggerath. Ooh. Yeah. So, Aaron. Where do you stand on um being lost in a dungeon? Not too good, boat. Uh,
1: I don't I don't think I'd like it. Now you I know you say that with a I don't know, a certain amount of mirth. However, I have been lost in a dungeon before, a really? couple of times. It What is a dungeon? It's a it's a subterranean place to stick prisoners, right? Correct. Okay, you know that in my uh, profession I visit prisons. And I even visit some that are abandoned and I Hmm. have actually been lost in a dark abandoned prison before. And I've been underground at an, at a abandoned prison and lost in these subterranean tunnels down there. And it's not fun. I can assure you. Hmm. Why, why were you there? (laughs) That's that's a legitimate question boat. So (laughs) one of the prisons that I have, uh, one of my, uh, machines in shut down for monetary reasons, but the machine's still there. And so I'm still going to service it. And so I go and get the keys from the chick next door and the keys, you know, the classic key, like in a dungeon game, the jailer key. Yeah. It yeah. Like those. It's a big brass <laughs> gimmick. And they're like, now don't you lose this or you'll be locked in. I was like, don't worry. <laughs> you know, you go in there and you unlock the doors and you're in it, man. And it's dark. There's some, there's some light in there, but it's dark, and you're in there, and you know some bad stuff went down. So that happens every month or so I go to that place. And then the place I was underground was the uh, uh, Moundsville State Penitentiary in, in West Virginia and Moundsville, uh, which was a former big-time prison that we toured. And one of the parts of the tour is you could go in the underground tunnel area, and we mm-hmm. all got lost in there because there's no lights. And it's oh. a scary,
0: it's a scary deal down there, See, I man. I didn't realize there was an underground part of the Moundsville Penitentiary. It's where they like, it's for equipment
1: mostly, oh, but okay. they man, other stuff down there.
0: down there. Oh man, who knows what they did?
1: That's that place did all kinds of heinous stuff, boat. What about it's you? Crazy. You're been stuck there, want to in an underground
0: dungeon well, area? When I was in college, uh, you know, I went to Ohio university. Yeah, and there's a place called the Ridges, and the Ridges is an old uh, lunatic asylum. And it's actually on the campus. It's owned by the university. Mm. And this is one of these places. They didn't stop uh, seeing patients until the early 90s. I mean, I want to say it was around the same time that the Moundsville Penitentiary closed is when the Ridges ceased to operate. And uh, people used to break in there. And go down into the basement. They had all kinds of holding cells and things like that in the basement of the ridges of this place. People would take pictures of, uh, you know, it, where it would be written, quote unquote, in blood. Things had written, and you know, it was just students writing creepy stuff on the walls. But yeah. a, a weird place. I, I never personally, I know this is going to shock you, but places like that scare me. And I never went with <laughs> my friends when they decided to to, to go into the, those places. But, uh, but yeah, uh, high, um, you probably couldn't pay me enough to go down into the dungeons of Daggerath. I don't care what kind of threat the town is under. I don't care what kind of wise and man approaches me and says, you're the only one that can save us. I'm going to develop an illness just like I did on my star Trek crew. And, uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to bow out. So. you know, you, you know,
1: you've heard of Muncie, Indiana, I believe it's ball state there. They had an incident uh, where there were underneath ball. State tons and tons of steam tunnels. You mm-hmm. know, the old steam tunnels mm-hmm. and people used to go down there and they would have people get lost and they kept locking them more and more. But people kept breaking in and then getting lost. And the cops had to come. That would be a sad, sick way to go if you were caught alone. And then throw in the fact that there are legitimate real life monsters walking around. It makes uh, this week's game all the more
0: frightening, Boat. Yeah, I think we should stop beating around the bush and dive right into it, Aaron. Yes, Dungeons sir. Dungeons of Daggerath,
1: man. This one here is a uh, uh, uh,
0: much ballyhooed offering this week. Boat. is there is there a more famous um, Coco game ever? This is it. This is the. This top. is
1: probably the most famous one. I mean, I've it, it, I've got some that are so you know, like I think uh, there are a few that are close, but I'd say this is the King Dong. In terms of people's opinion of it, that's for sure. And
0: and also just being a well-known game that originated on this platform.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Dungeons of Daggeroth uh, debuted on cartridge uh, in 1982. Both published by Tandy itself and was designed by a few folks. The game design and the sound design were done by a guy named Phil uh, Landmeyer. The team leader of the group was Douglas J. Morgan. Uh, the graphic designer was April Landmire, and she also did the cover art uh, for the game. And it was programmed by, uh, by uh, the aforementioned Douglas Morgan and Keith Kiyahara. So this right here, when you think about it, and as far as I could tell, I looked, I couldn't see that
0: these people had done any other things on the Cocoa. So... What does that tell you? I don't even know. It tells you It tells you that this game was so successful they left the cocoa for greener pastures upon receiving money. I well, I couldn't see what they did anything on any other system. That's oh, a surprising really? thing. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay.
1: Uh, so uh, this game again coming at eighty two, and you could pick these up. And I will say this is one of the cartridges that you often saw in, in stock at a, at a at a Radio Shack. This is one you could find. So these are mm-hmm. out there. Uh, they had the prune this thing down to get it to fit on an eight kilobyte ROM pack. If you think about that, it makes it all the more astounding. Um they it looks like they worked on this uh it, it was less than a year, uh, I believe that they worked on this. They worked on it from eighty to eighty one, uh, and a lot of that time was spent just trying to get it to go on the ROM pack. Now there eventually was a disc aver someone converted this to where it would work on disc. Uh but uh uh Initially and officially, this came
0: out as a ROM pack. Had you yeah, heard of and- this
1: before this week?
0: Oh yeah, I mean we've been doing the Cocoa Show for a couple of years now. I hear about Dungeons of Drag Daggeras <coughs> at least you know, weekly. It gets mentioned on the Cocoa Show at some sure. point. Those words are uttered from the mouth of l Curtis Boyle at least once a day. I I'm, I'm fully <laughs> confident. Now, had um, you played it? No, God no. <laughs> so, explain to the people, boat. Uh, what are you doing here? Okay, well, you, in Dungeons of Dagorath, you are a- exploring the, the the backstory. is that the, uh, You've got a town that's being terrorized by these monsters. There's an old man that teaches you the ways of the world, and he says, you need to go down. Now that I've trained you, you need to go down into this dungeon, and you need to do battle with these bad guys. I think there might be a ring involved somewhere. I don't know, Sauron's in it. So, Listen, the backstory on this is actually quite good. I mean, they really put a lot of thought into it. So I'll give them credit on that. You go down into the dungeon and you have only a sword and a torch to your name. And, um, and you roam about this dungeon. You encounter enemies that you have to fight. You encounter scrolls that you have to, uh, reveal. Uh, you've got rings, uh, and you've got various weapons that you can you can wield and shields and things like that. So uh, from this point on, you, uh, you know, on the face of it, it is your standard run of the mill uh, dungeon crawler. Except this is from freaking 1982. Yeah. 1982. This is way, way earlier than games that look like this had their heyday. Uh, this game is a trendsetter in so many ways. Uh, Not the least being the way that you actually navigate through this dungeon. Okay, so uh, this this game is uh, is command line based like a uh, like a like a type in or like a like a text based adventure game. But it happens. Things happen in real time. So you are (laughs) in some cases you are typing against the clock to get things to happen. Um, and that's, that's where the whole typing of the dead thing, you know, comes into play. Just like in typing of the dead, if you don't type fast enough, you're going to die in this game. If you don't type fast enough, you will die because every time you swing your sword, you've got to type swing sword. Now there are ways to, to cheat or not to cheat that, but there are ways to make that process more brief that we'll get into. But it's important to realize when you're, we're talking about this game, that all of your movements are typed out in real time and the game world is happening in real time while you play. Um, this game incorporates a uh, a bunch of systems that are weird, uh, and if you are a fan of this game, you would call them game-changing and groundbreaking. If you're not so much, you would just say they're idiosyncratic. Um, this is a game that does not incorporate any sort of statistics. Uh, you're definitely not going to see uh, you know uh, health points on either the enemies or yourself. Uh, what you have is a beating heart and, uh, and as you take on damage and as things happen to you, your heart starts beating faster and eventually your heart beats so fast that you die. And when you die, it's game over, man. It's well, you pass over. out basically, and then you you'll probably out. die. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, this game, well, before we get into the, the mechanics, Aaron, th- was this something that you played a lot as a child? This could be an unpopular opinion, but I'm just gonna tell you the way it was.
1: I, I was familiar with this game when I was a kid. And uh now I, was it eighty two when I saw it? Probably not. It was probably closer to probably eighty four or eighty five, so it'd probably been out a few years. And I remember getting this. Uh in fact, I got a bootleg copy of it. And uh I believe, I don't know if I ever actually owned a cartridge or not, but I know I played it. And I remember being p- completely b- befuddled by the interface. Uh, the interface in this, which I know you're going to to talk to, is it's got to be unique or fairly unique in this genre uh, because it is real weird. This yeah. is a game that you feel like you should be able to pick up the joystick or at the bare minimum, you, the arrow keys and go through And for whatever reason, they decided not to get, I guess because they had a foot in two worlds, but we've played a few of these games that were like this, not quite like this, but where they had one foot in the text world, the text parser world, and one foot in the graphical world. But this one right here probably takes the cake. But I remember trying this out as a kid and then, you know, not getting into it, if I'm honest, and moving along. You know, I was looking for stuff more like venture, you know, or Mm -hmm. uh, for my my dungeon crawling exploits uh, or gauntlet or something. And as despite the fact that this looked awesome and it sounded double awesome, I just thought at the time that it was hampered by its uh,
0: old fashioned control scheme but So that was my feelings from back in the day. So let's talk about what you have to do here. So uh, when you start the game, you have nothing in your hands you've got things in your backpack okay so you've got to pull things out of your backpack yeah. and so and you actually have to type that out you have to type i think in the way that the 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 uh, the the syntax is is it's pull and then either right or left and then object. I yeah. think that that's what it is. Is that right? Yeah. Am I yeah. right there? Okay, and so just getting going you're you're typing in what is sort of like I messed that up so many times. Like yeah. I just could not figure out what I was doing wrong. Um and and then you're you're all set to go. When you uh when you move through the dungeon, you know, you you have to type in, you know, turn left, turn right. Now, you can shorten these things in the 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 manual is real funny the way that uh the way that they they describe this they're like you can use shorter versions of the words in some cases you can just type the first letter of the word but sometimes you can't so you have to experiment and so it it uses sword as an example in that because sword and shield both start with s so you have to use more you know right 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 and so uh this is a um it's awkward and it's definitely a product of its time Yes, because this is not a game that if you're used to playing modern dungeon crawlers or even dungeon crawlers from the mid 80s, you're going to sit down and you're going to feel like wow this is unnecessarily complicated but at the time dungeon crawlers as a genre didn't really exist and the, you know the developers were kind of writing the rules as they went along and so that in their minds this was the way that all dungeon crawlers were going to control from here on out and this was this was the best way to do it so it's hard to really fault them when there weren't better examples that had already come out you know that that were, that were out there in the world uh, i mean um, now one thing that i love about this is is that unlike so many dungeon crawlers, even that came out later for much later systems, you do get a sense of motion as you move around the dungeon. Uh, whenever you make turns, you see uh, kind of like things spin in front of you that gives you the illusion that you're moving around. Yeah, uh, I-, I thought that was cool. The, the way that the, this dungeon doesn't really resemble a dungeon. It looks sort of like a like 90s sort of like office building. Um, you know, you don't really see stone walls or anything like that. So I, I, never really got the feeling that I was walking around in a dungeon as much as I was like, you know, walking around somebody's like abandoned corporate headquarters. So I, I feel like I don't know what could have been done to make that better, but it also kind of has, because it's all sort of, the walls are all outlined in blue or orange or, or white. It kind of has a Tron aesthetic too. You know, it's got that sort of vector aesthetic, which is kind of neat. Um, and uh, it, it definitely has a unique look. I will give it that. It's got a unique play style. Everything about this in the world of dungeon crawlers, I would call unique. You know, the way I looked at this, first of all,
1: like, again, you mentioned this came out in 82. So if you think about games like Zork, okay, mm-hmm. or or games that had that sort of dungeon crawl text-based things, pretend you've, you're playing that. And oh, by the way, they show you what's happening. If you look at it in that light, it makes more sense. The fact that this, does that what cha- what makes this different is the fact that you're fighting in real time and moving in real time. And that really, that was a step that separated this. All right. Um, in terms of the way it looks, I really think it's quite brilliant because, and they do something at the very beginning of the game when you light your torch, okay? Because at first you can't see nothing. And I always thought to myself, this is what a torch lit corridor would look like. All right. And so sure. with with yeah. that in my head, I proceeded. Now, when you go down to like the second level, for example, it's a whole, di- it looks, it's like white. So it's a whole different look to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, the game does change. Your torch will go out. Stuff like that can happen. And I admire the realism that is involved in that sort of thing. Um, you have to play this game with with the thought in your head that you're playing a text game. I mean, I really that if you play from that angle, you could be into it more. Uh, you have to be ready to go with your commands. If you're not, you'll lose and you'll lose quick. I mean, mm-hmm. very quickly. You've got to be able to type A L or A R or move or or also you have to walk backwards and fight mm-hmm. sometimes. This is a game, this is an action game trapped in a text parser, unfortunately, and it plays like that. Now, is it a brilliant game? Yes. Is it graphically brilliant? Yes. Is it audibly brilliant? Absolutely. You hear creatures coming. They have their own unique sounds. This is the Coco we're talking about. This ain't the Amiga. The, The sounds they make are unique, and they're scary. You can hear them in the distance coming. That is awesome. You always hear your heart beating. That is an instant way to add pressure to the to, to your game. You know, you're getting faster and faster. You know, there's they th- it builds suspense well in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a game that really, if you want my opinion on it, and I and I know it's been done, it was ripe for a remake, which has been had several, including ports to PC and whatnot, that will allow you to forego controlling the movement in the traditional style this is one that i would probably recommend going and trying one of the ports before i would try the original it's definitely worth looking at on the original and if you could get past that and become fluid with that
0: control set then you could have a good time i want to be honest with you um i did not enjoy my time with this game i just didn't like it uh i i found that I- I was I was able to move around the maze, you know, but it seemed like the enemies were just too strong right out of the gate and they would come and they would gang up on me and they would attack me. And I would swing my sword and I would beat one and then I would always get killed by the second one. And then I was going back to the beginning again. I felt I never felt like I was able to make any forward progress on this game. And that's a big deal to me personally, is that when I sit down and I start and I spend an hour with a game, at the end of the hour, I want to be able to look and say, Well, listen, I got to here at this time. And I just I I felt like I was able to explore the majority of the first level but that was about it and i i didn't feel like i'd really done a lot and i think this is this is really it's just another one of those games that you've got to devote lots of time to and i will admit the majority of that hour was just getting used to the way that the systems worked and everything like that getting used to figuring out the text parser like you said and and and, and getting all that straight in my head but i appreciate this game for what it was this is truly a groundbreaking game in every sense of the word and so far ahead of its time but you know i'm not the world's biggest fan of dungeon crawlers in fact they're my <laughs> least favorite genre he hates So them. this game this game has got a long road to hoe in terms of just getting that right out of the gate but it didn't do anything for me to say boy this is really you know one that i'm going to come back to although like the, the heartbeat thing it is novel I just, I'm one of these guys. I like stats. I like numbers. Um, I, that's why I like tabletop role playing. I love the dice rolls and tallying up things and checking the stat book and seeing what my crit rate is and stuff like that. And when you take that stuff and you make it more. Uh, you know, uh, I think somebody said, maybe Robert in the in the chat, he said that it was, you know, all that stuff is going on in the code behind the scenes, but all you get is this, you know, graphical representation. That's just not my bag. I don't like that in any sort of game. So it's just it's just not my thing. I I'll, I'll like the simplicity
1: of it. It's funny. I like every part of this game except for, in fact, I even like what they've done with the text parser. If you look at the back of the book, they give you the majority of the commands that you'll mm-hmm. need. And you could actually you could actually do a thing where you could chain a bunch of stuff together. You know, if you leave spaces. So once you get real familiar with it, you could really do a bunch of stuff. However, uh, 2021 Aaron is not too keen on that. Okay? Let's face facts. This game is a... Uh, I-, I like the dungeon in it. I like the way it's represented. The backstory on this is awesome. It sounds like it's straight out of a dD and d module. Uh, the, uh, the, the representation... A game hasn't been this creepy since like Phantom Slayer, uh,
0: which mm-hmm. is, has more yeah. than a little in common with it, it. Is it is very atmospheric. I give it full marks for its sound design, <clears> which <throat> just the fact that you can say a game in 1982 has sound design to speak of speaks volumes to like how good this is. Yeah, um,
1: I, I I I like the idea that it's simple to to uh, to truck stuff around. It's I like every part of it. Uh, except for the parser i and I can't get past that it these days i just i'm not a big I don't like having to rapidly type stuff in in real time it's just you know and i I think that uh, these are problems that have been overcame in other like you know in other ports of this game uh, so but I mean that much said I'm not gonna take anything away from the game it's a brilliant piece of of work given the limitations of the cocoa and the cartridge format and they never duplicated it because Ultimately, this game had a quote-unquote sequel release for it that bombed horribly, and because they didn't use the same people, you know, they mm-hmm. they did a game called Castle of uh, Thar, uh, god in '88. This is well in, and they substituted the parser with like uh, point-and-click shapes, which was interesting, but it didn't work. It was just no good, mm-hmm. uh, and it never it never took off. Uh, eventually uh, the the guy that made this noticed that the copyright had fallen back to him. And so he released this pretty much so do, for people to do whatever they wanted with it. And they have. So there have been ports made to all kinds of stuff. And uh, this is why we have the more modern interpretations of it that we have today. Both. Yeah, um yeah, I looked up a few reviews. Uh, most of these are just wordy, like love letters, <laughs> basically, mm-hmm. if I'm honest, uh, Icepeople.net, where I get a lot of my reviews for the Coco stuff, he just said simply, quite possibly the best and most popular game ever created for the car computer. That pretty much says it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found the Dragon review for this game. I believe it was the July, uh, or not Dragon, but Rainbow, July of 83. They had a pre-copy. They thought it only had three levels. They probably didn't know what the last two levels, says so five levels, and they gave it a ringing endorsement and said this set the standard for what future adventure games would be on the cocoa and on other systems in general a glowing praise for this game uh boat so it's popular it's a big deal uh did we get any action on the uh, discord Booster?
0: oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah uh Graham w of writes this game will remind players of alchabeth and its graphics and presentation but it's much better than that and probably wizardry as well Sure, the story is standard fare. Kill the evil wizard hiding in a monster-filled dungeon. But this game used mechanics in this genre that changed it and have been borrowed by many other games since. The standard game has five levels, about 12 monster types, and the usual shields and swords. However, one challenge this game presents is keeping your torch lit. Without it, you can't see anything in the dungeon, and the walls also become dotted instead of solid lines when the torch is running out. How brilliant in such a small hardware spec. That is brilliant. Yeah, it's quite good, yeah. But it's the health system which changes everything in this game versus other similar games. You only see a heart on the bottom of the screen, and it responds to the levels of fear and stress your player experiences. If you take damage, it beats faster, and if it beats too fast, you pass out and basically die. The heart mechanic also has sound, which adds to the experience. And it's refreshing not needing to concern yourself with hit points or life meters. Too good to miss out on and try to master the item drop trick in the earlier levels. Ported now to many platforms after the source was released. It's on Windows, Linux, and even the Vectrix now, but this is a Coco Classic 9 out of 10. Exile in Paradise writes, not much left to add to Graham's review. I lost more than a few hot summer nights to crawling through the Dungeons of Daggerath. All these years later, I can still vividly remember the anxious feeling of your torch running out and trying to navigate blind while monster sounds got closer and closer, just hoping you got to another torch first. Of course you didn't, and you had to fend off monsters blind and hope you got another torch. It wasn't just the on-screen heart pounding. Other memorable moments include the anger at finding out you didn't kill the wizard, just a demon pretender, and if you stuck it out... Of course, that huge sigh of relief at the final screen. And years later, that smug satisfaction of realizing you won, despite a bug in the shields that made them useless in the lowest levels. Daggerath set an early bar that few other games since have matched when it comes to the overall end-to-end experience. Agree with Graham, easily, 9 out of 10. Mm. And finally, the man himself, L. Curtis Boyle, writes... I'm going to up the score to 10 out of 10 for me. I'm not <laughs> this is the game that took RPGs in general to another level. Would you call this an RPG, Aaron? Oh, um,
1: yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, what is an RPG? If you pretend
0: that you're a guy in a dungeon and lose yourself, if that's an RPG, then yes. So I'll go there. And the fact that Douglas Moran and company crammed this entire thing into an 8K RAM is astounding. It's an educational game designed as a real-time role-playing game. You learn to type at a rapid pace. You needed a dictionary or a thesaurus in order to encant some of the rings. The health system, which incorporates hit points, exhaustion, stamina, etc., all into a pulsating heartbeat where the parent, where the player could faint. The torch system, where they got dimmer and dimmer until they burned out and your chance of hitting a creature got worse and worse as you couldn't see them, different levels of items and weapons. Each creature had its own unique sound and spatial volume. The closer a creature is to you, the louder it gets, even through walls. These were things you didn't get in other RPGs for quite some time after Dungeons & Daggerath's release in 1983, never mind combined into one game as others have mentioned it has inspired clones on the pc vectrix online etc and better still almost all game developers for the coco from this time period people like rick adams dale Lear, and others have all cited this game as their favorite and an inspiration for all of them to do better with their own titles if a game has this much pull both on the genre and other developers themselves how can you give it less than 10 out of 10 some people think it's too hard. Well, a lot of us won it back in the day, so you modern-day pansies can go back to easy games like Pokemon. <laughs> wow, a from L Curtis Boyle. Oh, oh, oh man, you know, <laughs> this game
1: reminds me of two games we've covered ad nauseum in the past on other machines. School Days is one. School Days was a I game where people who didn't who didn't write games, but they had in, intimate knowledge of the subject matter and wrote a game to fit their vision, right? Mm -hmm. I think this was a game written by some straight-up D&D players, brother, Mm. who knew what they wanted and didn't know they couldn't do it, so they did, all right? I also want to say this also reminds me a little bit of like Elite in a game, or Elite Frontiers, where they took what seems like a monumentally huge undertaking, this incredibly large game, and somehow made it fit in, to, into the dimensions of something that can't possibly work. Like, it's a portable hole. And in this game, as a uh, as a program on the Coco, is a standout because it did something that you didn't think it could, and it was made by people who didn't know they couldn't do it, and so they did. And I don't know what else they did. Like I said, as far as I can tell, they didn't do anything else. But they don't have to do anything. They can
0: put their put their keyboard down after this one, Boat. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And uh, as Curtis said, it's hard not to rate this a ten out of ten for both its technical achievements, uh, the shadow it cast over the genre, and how many developers, even from other genres, said they made their games better or tried to make their games better just because they saw how awesome Dungeons of Daggerath was. Absolutely, and I, I did look this up on eBay
1: to see what, in case you want to pick one up. Uh, you get the manual. I saw the manual loose a lot on this one. Ten bucks, you know, um, a little bit more some places. The cart. Just by itself, about 45 bucks. If you want this thing complete in box, of course, you're getting that crappy tandy box. It just has a right. hole in the front. <laughs> uh, you can get the whole thing. I saw it going for 80, your best offer. And they've sold recently from between 50 and 80 bucks complete in box. So you know, this pretty is, hefty money.
0: This is one of those titles that's always going to command a premium because it has a place in uh, Ready Player One. The, uh, the, the Ernest Klein novel yes and the, yeah the Spielberg movie, so uh, people that are fans of that they they're, they're going to be in there bidding too so well, there you well go. as we reach the end of this edition of the Coco Show, we should thank first our Coco Show superstars, our game selection committee, Robert Allen Murphy, and Steve Rasmussen. thank you guys so much for being superstars. We want to thank our game selection chairman L Curtis Boyle and all of the fine, fine folks that support our show uh, through Patreon, including the above mentioned, plus Edvin Helland, Buttons, and William Becker. Thank you guys so much for supporting the Cocoa Show. If you'd like to uh, keep this show on the air and keep the cocoa goodness flowing, you can go over to patreon.com slash the Cocoa Show. We'd really appreciate it. Now, Aaron, next week, get ready. Okay? It's been far too long. In fact, it's been since never since we've covered a wrestling game on the coco yes finally a wrestling game on the coco i can't wait WrestleManiac aaron has been selected for the next coco show game that's awesome because this is a game i actually legitimately bought out of a magazine (laughs) that's awesome yes well it's going to be a great episode it's going to it's going to be yeah i can't wait you know I love every time we do a wrestling game on any of our shows, it's always one of my favorites. Even when we did micro league wrestling and they all stink. Still, yeah, it was, still, it was still good. So I'm really looking forward to this one guys. Thank you as always for listening and we will see you next time. Until then all hail. El Curtis Boyle.